Reading from 1 Corinthians, uh, most widely used, uh, longest reading on the most widely used illustration of the church, that the church is the body of Christ. Bodies get quite a bit of attention in our society these days, don't they? I bought a newspaper on Wednesday and lo and behold there was an article in it on body shaming. Apparently a recent survey of over 70,000 people found that 16% of women, 27% of men, liked what they saw when they looked in the mirror. (laughs) That's just one in four of you guys and just one in six of you ladies. It flipped a wee bit when when they asked the question, who feels ashamed of the way they look? Because it was only a mere 46% of the women, but 63% of the men, almost two in three, And there are huge, other not, huge social and huge institutional pressures about modifying our bodies. It's a massive industry. People for a long time have spent huge amounts or significant amounts on their hair. But now their eyebrows, their nails, their tattoos, the Botox this and Botox that. Some women want breasts that are larger and then even larger again and then they decide, no, that's too large and make them smaller and so on. It happens. Thousands spent. And then there's the shaming and the bullying because someone doesn't look right. And we know that that's driven some people to suicide. People not only judge others on their appearance, but... Self-esteem is so often made to depend on conforming to expectations of how our bodies are presented to the world. And while all of that goes on, the body of Christ, the churches by the same society, tossed aside and ignored by many and derided by some. But Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures in earth, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. That is, he's saying there's an eternal perspective that we ought to take into account. Much of the obsession in today's society with the appearance of our bodies is some kind of resistance to the fact that we're aging. People don't want to age. People want to live longer, but they don't want to age. That doesn't add up. We try to resist aging, but we can't really put it off, can we? And no matter how much we spend in turning up our bodies, we cannot avoid dying. And then what? The Old Testament prophet Haggai, he he lived and heard a message from God after the people of God had been in exile in in Babylon. They had been taken there. And while they were in Babylon, they were distraught. Not just they had been taken by, captured by another country, not just their uh, city lay in, in ruins, but they believed that the temple in Jerusalem in particular was the very meeting place of earth and heaven. It was the special temple that God had built built through Solomon and and everything focused on that. And when they were taken into Babylon, who are we? We thought we were the people of God. We thought we had this special place where earth met heaven. And, And they couldn't understand 
Hence, by the rivers of Babylon, we lay down and wept. Hence, they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And they longed to be back. Well, they got released from Babylon quite miraculously. They, they went back. And Haggai's message was, guys, you've come back. But wait a minute, what's going on here? Instead, all the, all, despite all they had said about the temple and how much they had missed it and how important was the house of God, basically what Haggai was saying to him is, you've just left it in a shabby condition and what you're doing is just building your own houses and looking after yourselves. It was the case of not, I mean, people do need a roof over their heads, fair enough. But it was more of a case they were sort of saying, well, let's now build on a conservatory or whatever was the equivalent of a conservatory in Haggai's time. The folk next door have got a double garage. We need to get one. Have you seen that hot tub at number 23? That would be something. They were doing the equivalent of that, whatever it was. They were just kind of making it better and better for themselves. And all the time, the temple was still messy. And the message of Haggai was, how can you be looking after your own houses to such an extent and neglecting the house of God, the temple? But similar to what goes on in our society with our bodies. How can we neglect the body of Christ? God has called to be his people and his church and spend so much time on our own. Jesus changed things, you see. He said that he was replacing the temple. Not the temple down, I will rebuild it in three days, he said, talking about his resurrection. So that he became the meeting point, the meeting place, as it were, between earth and heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, from Hebrews, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And then he says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach God. We can be in the presence of God. We can be at the throne of grace because of Jesus. And so the temple was no longer that building in Jerusalem. The temple was replaced by Jesus. And then after Jesus died and rose, he said it was his followers, his church, that was to be the presence of God on earth, the meeting point of earth and heaven. And that's what was behind that illustration that Dorothy read from in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it's saying that the church is the body of Christ. It doesn't say, notice, that the church is the body of Christians, that is all the Christians getting together. It doesn't say that. It says the body of Christ. It's not even the body of Jesus, the ones who are intent with following him. It's about being Christ. It's about being God's representative, God's anointed here on earth. Not something that we choose to take for ourselves not something that we are elected to. It's the work of God, the Holy Spirit bringing people to faith, hence the baptized by one spirit in verse 13. And then the spirit guiding and sustaining us, verse 14.
And in this picture of the church as the body of Christ, Christ's presence, the meeting place of earth and heaven, so the body also lends itself, verses 15 to 20 of that reading, to having some kind of diversity. The church is made up of different people, whether, verse 13, Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And it's just like the parts of your own body. The parts of your own body are different, but they're still part of the body. So Paul is not saying that since we're all different, there's a need for unity. He's saying, no, the unity is given by our being in Christ, being the body of Christ. And that unity is to be expressed through our being different, just as the different parts of your body do different things. And so participation by all parts is required. The body needs its different parts to function well. The point he's making in verse 17. Be no use if the whole body were an eye. It'd be no use if the whole body were an ear. Now, of course, our earthly bodies can and do work without one part or another, or even sometimes without a number of parts. But we know too that when different parts cease to work, the body is weakened. And in the same way, if the followers of Jesus opt out, it's not just some church that's let down, it's Christ himself whose body suffers. And this diversity of having different parts means that verses 15 and 16, we cannot say, well, I don't belong because I'm not something else. The foot should say, because I am not a hand, verse 15, I do not belong to the body. So what he's saying there is, you can't opt out just because you can't do something else, something that somebody else can do. We've got different gifts. You can't say, well, you know, I couldn't stand up in front of people and speak, so I'm no use, I'm just... You can do something else. The body has different gifts, different parts. And as well as the diversity that he's emphasizing, verses 15 to 20, so he also emphasizes 21 to 26, the unity. How even though we are different, we need each other. So there is no place for superiority. Just as somebody can't say, I'm not good enough, I've not got a part to play, just because I'm not that part of the body or this part of the body. In the same way, verse 21, some part of the body can't say to another, well, you're obviously no good. My part's much more important than yours. So there's no room for saying we don't matter, we're not good enough. There's no room for saying to someone else they're not good enough. And so you see the picture that's emerging, that the church is not a meeting to go to, it's not an organization to be part of, but a community to serve with. That unity is not that we all like the same things, that we have similar personalities, but rather that we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And so we have that common identity in Christ, a common goal to serve the kingdom of God, and a common purpose here, Christ's mission in the world. And key through all of this is the fact that this is how God has designed it. Verse 18, God has placed the parts in the body. Verse 24, God has put the body together. Verse 28, 
and God has placed in the church. This is God's design. You think it's a daft way to do things? You take that up with God. You know. The fact is he hasn't committed himself to anything else. There was one temple in Jerusalem that was replaced by the one Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father but through him. And then that work was handed on to his followers, the church, to be his people with all our different parts playing our part. And so we're not, and the church is an organization and has, has too often been like this. It's too often been like the cruise ship. You know, on the cruise ship, some people do the work. No, everybody. And the other folk, well, you know, they think, it's okay, I've paid, I've paid to come on board, I don't need to do anything. Well, and that's absolutely right and true as far as cruise ships go. But it's not a good picture of the church. You know, I just kind of lend my support through a few bob in now and then and do this, do that. But the work's done by somebody else. If we use a boat illustration at all, it would be much more like the rowing crew. Everyone has to pull. Everyone has to play a part. And suppose a couple of folks in the rowing crew decide not to. Suppose you're watching the Oxford and Cambridge boat race going up the Thames, or is it down the Thames, whichever, whichever way they go. Suppose you're watching it and there's a couple of rowers in, in one of the crews who say, oh, do you know, everybody else is doing awfully well. Everybody else is, is pulling hard. I don't really need to. Especially if these two rowers who say that are on the same side of the boat, then it's just going to go round in circles. <laughs> That's a much better picture than the cruise ship of what God means by, by church. Everyone has a part to play. Although that illustration falls down in the fact that the part that we have to play is so similar. So perhaps this one's better. Suppose you're walking beside a river. And then you're walking there in the early evening and, and, and you hear a cry for help. Fairly quickly you see that someone's in the water and struggling. You run to the bank, you, you jump in, you swim across and save them. So which part of your body was most important in all of that? Was it the ear that heard the cry in the first place? Was it the eye that was able to detect where they were in the water? Was it your legs that carried you to the bank and, and pushed you to jump in? Was it your arms that pulled you through the water as you swam? Was it your hand that, that grabbed hold of the struggling, drowning person and pulled them to safety? Was it your heart that kept beating through all of that? Your lungs that kept breathing through all of that. Well, of course, you've got it. Every part's needed, isn't it? Every part was important. It'd be hard to say, well, we didn't need that bit. We could have done with that. The heart, could have t the heart doesn't do very much. You know, it's not no, it does. And that's what God says his people are to be like. Our bodies are designed to work with different parts. Sometimes we have to get used to or adapt to being without one part or another. 
we try to help by providing for at least what it's struggling larger, larger print orders of service. And of course, we've provided signers and signing. Because sometimes when one part's not working, we have to make adaptations. Some people make adaptations and do very well. Others struggle daily with whatever it is that keeps them back. But the church as a body of Christ has too often had to serve in our society without the mem- many members playing their part. And I don't mean playing your part just by volunteering for a task or three, although I wouldn't want to put anyone off doing that. But I mean playing our part in terms of the mutual care, ministry, faith sharing, support and discipleship that's to go on amongst and in the body of Christ. All that we have been thinking and talking about through this series on what it is to belong to church, the eager participation in worship, the active discipleship, the careful and thought-out financial giving, and so on and so on. These are all what we are called to be and do if the body is to function. Now I began contrasting the care and attention our society urges us to take in the attention that we give to our physical bodies, our appearance, attaching esteem and popularity and contentment to to all of that. I said our society urges, but perhaps I should have said our society indoctrinates. Again, I'll tell you, I'm really tired of people when they say ramming religion down folks' throats. That hardly ever happens. What gets rammed down your throats day in and day out is how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed to spend and what you're supposed to have. Just watch the adverts on TV. Just open your average newspaper and you'll see that. Right, left and centre, we're being told... You have to do this, to do that, tart up this, tart up that, look better in this way, look better in that way, otherwise you'll be left behind, otherwise you'll just be counted worthless. And and it comes at all sorts of ways and ages and stages, doesn't it? I once, and it's a trivial example, I once had to go to the school up the road to collect a daughter who was feigning to be unwell. She wasn't really unwell. And why was she feigning to be unwell? It was one of these non-uniform days at school. And she just was getting hassle and bullying for what she chose to wear that day from the other pupils. So she pretended to be unwell. I was in the middle of working for a service. I wasn't very best pleased. And I say that's a trivial example. Because we can seriously go all the way to knowing fine well that folks have taken their own lives just because they've been made to feel they don't look right. Now, the bodies in which we spend thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds for all kinds of treatments, operations and exercise and so on, they're important. Of course they are. I'm not saying they're not. We need them and we we should look after them. 
Just as the people of Israel in Haggai's day did need somewhere to live. We're not saying they shouldn't have had any homes. Haggai's point was that you're spending more and more and more and more on the house and and neglecting God's house. And so we spend more and more and more and more on our physical bodies and ignore the body of Christ too often. You can't stop the aging process. Your self-esteem should not depend on indulgent treatments on various different parts of your body. And you'll not be able to avoid death ultimately. There are two very, very horrible examples with us just now. Coronavirus and war in Ukraine and Russia. There have always been instances of trouble in the world. There's always been danger and disease and and so on. But these two are very much in our faces at the moment. And what are they? They're examples or instances of the fact that you just never know. That we cannot take everything, we cannot take life itself for granted. That it's not possible to just simply suit ourselves and think that we can remain untouched and untroubled by the wider issues, the bigger questions or the greater responsibilities. Life doesn't work like that. And that is one of the things that the gospel screams, screams to our materialistic society. You cannot buy peace. You cannot write a check to get ultimate safety. You cannot do a bank transfer that provides ultimate protection. And to opt for the Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, is not simply about signing a card, ticking a box, an occasional event like a baptism or anything else. It's to say that Jesus is Lord. And that his call and his purposes are what most matter. And they most matter because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And seeing and taking up that call of Jesus then is to be part of the body of Christ. Because it's not part of the body of Christians that we may or may not choose to associate with. Following Jesus means we are in the body of Christ and therefore not our own boss. That sounds like giving up an awful lot, doesn't it? But it's giving up in order to gain a whole lot more. What body really matters most to us? What perspective counts? It's only in Christ. If he was telling the truth, and we believe he was, that's why we're here. It's only in Christ that there's a kind of treatment that counts eternally. Our priorities should reflect it. Let us pray.